Ladies and gentlemen, do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad About Movies. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Mad About Movies, your go-to podcast for all things cinema. Every week we talk movie news, movie rumors and movie rumblings, and break down a chosen movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen it because we will give you a spoiler alert. Please stay tuned till the end for weekly recommends in which each of us suggests something that you need to go out and check out ASAP. And remember, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and on our website, at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's throwback movie of the week is what, Brian? This week we're going to be talking about Kevin Hart's Think Like a Man 2. <laughs> no? I nope. saw it for nothing? No, we're doing... We're, it's Think a throwback, Like a Man right? 1. Yeah, we're doing Think Like a Man 1. Ah, my bad. Well, <laughs> I saw them both, so we're going to No, this week we're talking about Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman. It is exactly the 25th anniversary of the release of Batman in uh, 1989. So, so us on the podcast felt um, obligated, really, uh, to uh, do a throwback episode for you guys. We have gotten a couple requests for this movie, so that uh, definitely helped the cause. So if you have a suggestion for a throwback movie, please don't uh, hesitate to go on our website and send it in. Because we're always looking for ideas. Especially this summer. Especially this yes. summer. More, th- more than happy. It seems as the, the golden days of the summer are over. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Until Guardians. Until Guardians in August. And Tammy. And Tammy. <laughs> Got that one circled. And a gold star next to it, just <laughs> just to be sure we do it. Um, hey, I want to give a big shout to uh, Socrates on Twitter, a.k.a. Okay. Cole Tro- Troisi. It says, saw the trailer for Tammy yesterday for the first time. And my soul wept and part of it died. <laughs> so, big shout. Shout out for him for giving it a chance, too. You know? Yeah. I wonder what, if he saw the trailer forcefully or if he looked it up online. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully he was in the theater for something else, something good. But, uh, yeah. So, guys, it's going to be fun to go back and throw back to this Batman movie. This movie absolutely set the stage for the superhero movie craze that we are in currently. So, yeah, got to be fun to talk about this. I hadn't seen it in quite a while. Since uh, last time I saw it this week uh, f- to prep for this review, it's gonna be fun to talk about, and we're gonna, you know, analyze it and see how well it holds up 25 years later. But before we talk about a little movie news, guys, I have an announcement to make regarding the podcast. This podcast is now featured and available on the TuneIn Radio app. Ooh. So if you have the TuneIn Radio app, you can uh, just go to Mad About Movies or search Mad About Movies, or uh, click the link on our website. And you just click play on one episode, and it just keeps looping all of our episodes uh, nice. until you hit stop. So it's basically a 24-hour station. Whenever you are sad and alone in your bed, alone at night, just put on the soothing voices of Kent, Richard, and Brian, and we will put you right to sleep. That's uh, that's no lie. We will put you to sleep. That's, <laughs> I listen to our episode every night before I go to bed as I'm falling asleep. Yeah. Of course, you can find all our episodes on our website and iTunes and Stitcher and the normal uh, ways, but we do like to give everybody as many options as possible because we know that uh, podcasts are consumed in a multitude of fashions. So yeah. yeah, just go to our website and hit tune in if that's your preferred method of consuming podcasts. That's awesome. Big awesome. Stuff. Big stuff. 
So, guys, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit of movie news. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. So we're going to do an abbreviated segment this week. Um, we're going to spend most of our time talking about Batman. But I do want to mention a little bit of news that is hot off the presses. And uh, it took the internet by storm last week. We have a little bit of Star Wars news. And the first thing I want to mention that we haven't talked about yet on the show is Harrison Ford's injury. Mr. Han Solo himself, Harrison Ford, has been injured on the set of Star Wars Episode Seven, which is filming right now in England. He's going to get microfracture. Yes. He's going to get the microfracture <laughs> surgery. Out, he, out nine to 12 months. <laughs> he broke his leg uh, running up the ramp of the Millennium Falcon. Old. So if you... I guess picture a new hope when they're in Tatooine and we first meet Han Solo and he runs up the ramp and they get sort of stormed by stormtroopers. See what I did there? Uh, I, I assume it's yeah, a, I assume it's something similar to that, what they were filming. And you know what? First reaction to this news? Surprised it wasn't a hip that he broke. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't want it to be that he just broke his leg running up the ramp of the Millennium Falcon. I want it to be like some crazy Tom Cruise stunt that just went slightly wrong and he, he came down poorly or he saw a guy wearing a Greedo costume and like was just attempting to strangle him and broke something <laughs> in the process. Like something happened, not just, hey, I'm old and I broke my hip or my, or my leg running, running up a, a ramp. Like, come on, that, that, hurt. that hurts his cred a little bit. Let's be honest. So yeah, he is out two months and don't really know if this is going to delay production at all. I assume they'll push most of the scenes of him that require him to be standing up or walking uh, into the later stages of production. So he, I guess he can probably still film scenes where he's sitting down, like when he, if they're flying the Falcon or you know having conversations or something like that. So you know it sucks because you know Harrison Ford's great and we want him to be healthy, of course. But you know things happen, and it's just cool to see that he is doing his own stunts and he's put himself back in a physical type. Uh, position so they're not using too many stunt doubles here apparently so that's good speaking of Cruz, how many injuries do you think he's gonna get in his like late career <laughs> when Cruz is like you know 72 and doing like mission impossible eight like yeah. he probably will die on the set like let's just i don't mean to be morbid but that's yeah, probably he will. how he's going out right that's how yeah, he wants to go very out. very likely yeah. yeah yeah he would not have it any other way honestly right. <laughs> Unless it's maybe like doing a backflip off of a step like our friend Sean O'Connell told us about. So so apparently Tom Cruise did get hurt already in a movie. He got hurt on the set of Jack Reacher. And it says the, – the headline to this uh, article I just pulled up says it was his gnarliest onset injury to date. Ooh. So apparently this has happened in the past, but he just walks it off, you know, like yeah. Tom Cruise does. Or he gets the thetans removed from the injury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They can't harm him. Exactly. Maybe he's not human. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just some sort of Android device. <laughs> and that's that shock explains you at all? so much. No, not at all. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably the most logical explanation I can think of at this moment. But. <laughs> so, yeah, Harrison Ford is injured. So get well soon, Harrison. We know you're a listener and friend of the podcast. The other big Star Wars news, big, big Star Wars news. Triple big. Triple big. Huge. The biggest news we've had probably so far regarding this. They have confirmed a director for Star Wars Episode Eight, 
and writer for Star Wars Episode Eight, and it's the same person, and it is Ryan Johnson. Oh, yes, yeah. So it's not Ben Falcone. No, no. <laughs> I mean, well, Tammy hasn't come out yet, so yeah, he'll probably he get a standalone. Yeah, he might get the Han Solo prequel or the Job of the Hut. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, another fat joke. I We're just it. full of them, guys. Yeah, I don't feel bad making them because they're the only jokes she makes. So yeah, sure. <laughs> I feel <Exactly. laughs> I don't feel bad. Exactly. Normally I would. So, guys, reactions to this. If I remember correctly, when they announced these films, I remember we were speculating on directors back before even J.J. Abrams was announced. And if I remember correctly, Ryan Johnson was was brought up in our conversation. Uh, a podcast listener will have to go back and and find that out for sure. But I remember us talking about it, and one of us, or I think Brian, immediately shot that down because Ryan Johnson's a guy who does mainly his own material. Yeah. So well, we you didn't look really stupid now. Yeah, I look like a moron two <laughs> years later. This is going to be his own material, though. He is writing the script. So he's obviously, you know, the universe is established, and I'm assuming he knows what's going to happen in, in episode seven, and so that's why he took the job if he can, if it was something that he could handle and, and you know continue the story in a very organic way. But it's surprising to me; I was very surprised. I had immediately written him off as well um, due to that exact fact. You wouldn't you wouldn't think he would be the type of guy that would you know choose to do a Star Wars movie when he is obviously talented at doing his own stuff. But it's exciting. Because I think he definitely has talent, and he is obviously somebody that we are fond of on this show. We enjoyed Looper quite a bit, I think, and I'm for, I'm fans of his other works too, the brothers Bloom and Brick. If you haven't seen those, those are pretty enjoyable films. They have their flaws, but they're enjoyable. Yeah. But what is y'all's reactions to this, Brian Gill? I think this makes me feel even better about where these films are headed. Like the J.J. Abrams things was huge, but that was almost more of like. The the big deal about that was like they're stealing it from him from Star Wars, which was which was or excuse me from Star Trek, which was a huge deal because I think J.J. Abrams was always a very natural choice for this stuff if you could get him away from Star Trek, and they did. So this is Ryan Johnson is, I think, is really thinking not necessarily outside the box, but like we're not just going to go get the people you think we're going to go get, or or we're not going to do like a retread of uh of other directors who don't quite bring the same amount of uh true ingenuity the way that he does. Ryan Johnson is a an incredible director. Like you you mentioned Looper's great. Brick is great. He did probably the best episode of Breaking Bad yes. in addition to some others. Um he is just an astounding visionary director um and a great writer as well. So this ha- if you're a Star Wars fan and you're and I think I think all like true Star Wars fans when when Lucas sold the the property to Disney and we knew we were getting new films there's like this mix of of uh, anticipation and fear at the same time I think things like this should put all of us in a on in the end of the mindset that uh things this is going to be pretty good like we are heading thoroughly in the in the right direction uh, for this this franchise, this is this is a huge huge get for them. There were rumors that Ryan Johnson was also directing Episode Nine. Those mm-hmm. rumors have since been shot down. He is, however, doing the treatment for Episode Nine. Okay, the story outlined for that, and and might end up doing it. Who knows? But um, the original announcement was that he was directing both films. 
but he's only directing the first uh, one, Star Wars Episode Eight, at this point in time. So we still have two more Star Wars movies to go, mind you, before this movie comes out. Right. So we have a lot of Star Star Wars stuff to talk about and discuss on the show between now and then. But this is a big, huge, important announcement for the future of the franchise. They have, you know, their story pretty much set for this uh, seven, eight, nine. They are moving in the right direction, absolutely, Brian. That's a great. That's a great point. It's Marvel status now. I mean, you know, they they are obviously using the Marvel uh, cinematic universe universe as their model, mm-hmm. and I think that's an absolutely great choice by Disney. To it's just Star Wars just lends itself to so much storytelling. It it doesn't. It just seems so wide open. The, the, yeah. the universe is so big, more than Marvel. I mean, Marvel. They do Guardians of the Galaxy because and Thor because that can open up the galaxy for them story wise. You know it, they were limited to just Earth before that. So when they add you know Asgard and, and the Guardians, it's going to open up so many doors for future films for them. But Star Wars just there's so much story to tell, and I just can't wait to see how these great directors who they have so far are going to take this. How far they're going to take this story. But Richard, what were your initial thoughts when Ryan Johnson was announced? So as you guys know, Star Wars is is exciting for me, but not on the same level as you guys. So I don't have this sort of emotional attachment to it. But I will say that 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 uh, uh, this was an excellent choice just from like a filmmaking perspective. And Brian, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think this is this makes me very excited about the franchise as a whole. I really like the idea of kind of using different directors and uh, playing around with it that way. They made a great choice in Abrams, but I, I kind of think it's neat that they're not just mar- completely married to that. But yeah, I'm excited. I think you're right, Ken. I mean, this is a series that really lends itself to storytelling. And this is someone who not only, you know, it's not like um, some super effects driven director. It's someone that has a great eye for story. And, yes. uh, I, you know, that, that excites me more from a writing perspective than a direction. Because I think in terms of performance and the visual style of the films, they'll probably, I would hope they would be remain fairly consistent with each other. Uh, but it's exciting to have kind of new ideas of story within that universe. So that's, I'm pumped. Yeah. That when you sent me that text earlier this week, I was, I, for a second, I, I, I'm not as good with names as you guys. So I was like, okay, who's that? Is that Rain Wilson? <laughs> I kept picturing Rain Wilson for some reason. And then, uh, and then I like, you know, quick, a quick Google took care of that for me. So, uh, yeah. I'm I'm pumped. Great choice. I'm, I'm excited to see you know if he doesn't do three now, who will do three because they've they're kind of two for two right now. Yeah, the script. He's such a great writer. Yeah, and the script for Looper is so Brick. solid. It and yeah, Brick, Brick as too. well. But the scene specifically that I'm talking about, or that comes to mind when I think of Ryan Johnson, is the scene where Joseph Gordon-Levitt first meets his future self, Bruce Willis, in the diner. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can just see those types of scenes in the Star Wars universe. And it, uh, it makes me really excited as a fan. So the big question is here, guys, what happened to J.J. Abrams? It's my personal opinion that they offered J.J. Abrams episode eight and nine, probably, you know, uh, after he probably finished pre-production or maybe in the middle of, of principal photography right now, they said, well, J.J., what do you think about doing this again? Mm-hmm. And J.J. Abrams being J.J. Abrams that we know from the past – I can, I can see him being like, you know what? This isn't for me. This has taken way longer than I, I ever wanted it to take. I mean, he's a guy who's, who's in and out on a production. I think Super 8 took 28 days or something like that to shoot. Mm. So he's a guy that is in and out, and they had a lot of script issues that weren't 
foreseen. I mean, he had to go in there with and bring in Lawrence Kasdan and him and Lawrence Kasdan had to f- do the script themselves on because Michael Arndt's script didn't work out uh, initially. And there's been so many leaks from the set. And that kind of stuff just drives J.J. Abrams absolutely crazy. And so I think, you know, great experience. And he's going to forever be known as the guy who brings back Star Wars, you know, sort of heals all wounds from the, that, that are left open from the prequels. And he'll probably get a lot of credit for that. But I can just see this is just too much for him. He's happy to do it. He's lo- he loves Star Wars from a d- deep down bottom of his heart. But just doing another film is just such a big undertaking for him, probably. You know, and they, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I would add to it, you know, he's one of the few um, celebrity filmmakers. Like he's – you know what he looks like. Like I see – I think like most people know who J.J. Abrams is, which isn't necessarily – the same for all directors, right? He has kind of this cachet to him. And I think that as he is the person that's reviving this series, he's going to have to do a lot of press for it. And because yeah. it's a big deal that they got him and he'll be out. And, and it's kind of, you know, one of the, the flaws of, of casting a not so famous cast is that, you know, he, aside from maybe Harrison Ford, JJ uh, Abrams is probably the most famous person affiliated with the movie right now. And so when that movie comes out, he's going to have to promote a lot of it. And I think that adds even more months to the schedule yeah. that make it hard to go and make the second one and the third one and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, he probably not only looks at the workload that's gone down, but also the workload that's coming still. And it's just like, um, I'm going to need three years off after this. Exactly. Yeah. Brian. No, I totally agree. And then, and, and, there's got to be some desire to just go do his own stuff and not yeah. be, not live in somebody else's universe for a little while. Given that most of what he's done for the last like six or seven years, by the time this comes out, will have been either in the Star Trek or the Star Wars universe. Beyond that, all he's done is Super Eight, which I love. I love Super Eight, um, but that's really the only departure that he's gotten to go do that sort of thing. I, I mean, we saw it with Christopher Nolan too. I think. Um, if DC had their way, uh, no one would be more actively involved in the Superman slash Justice League world. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's a guy who, okay, I just did this trilogy. I also took a break and made Inception, which was probably the best movie of 2010. But now I just want to go do my own thing, uh, like with Interstellar. And I'm imagining that the next couple of movies we're going to get from Chris Nolan are going to be his own thing, not – involved in someone else's world um at least for a while and i I would expect the same from jj abrams it also though would not surprise me to see jj take on some sort of an advisory slash executive producer sort of role with the remaining star wars films um kind of i I mean he's doing similar stuff with star trek am i right on that i I feel like he's he's yeah he's a producer of star trek 3 yes i I think that it wouldn't surprise me after the fact to end up that we find out that there's some kind of uh, role for him with this universe because I think he really truly loves the Star Wars franchise, but uh, the workload has got to be a beast on something like this, and I'm sure he'd rather <laughs> just chill out for 20 minutes and make 17 more TV shows or something. Yeah, and plus you got to factor in the putting in all those lens flares is going to be <laughs> too. He, yeah. he does those by hand. Yeah, <laughs> he seriously stands next to the camera with a flashlight and does all those. He's the only one who really knows how to do it, and he shakes the cam by himself too. On uh, in Star Trek, when the ships were crashing and stuff, he he knows the perfect methods of doing a shaky cam without it being shaky cam. You know, there's only a certain way you can do it and make it look decent. He does a good job. So 
I'm anxious to see what he does with Star Wars. But uh, upcoming for J.J. Abrams, according to the Internet Movie Database, he's producing the Mission Impossible 5 sequel. Yeah. Uh, is that clo- Brad Bird again? Or is it, is it someone else? Because Brad Bird was awesome. Chris McQuarrie. Oh, that's good, too. Yeah. He's doing a, an untitled Cloverfield sequel that has been announced. And movies about the video games Portal and Half-Life, which have been announced, as well as Star Trek Three coming up. Good point, Brian, that he has been in a established universe, not his own, for quite some time. Yeah. I would say Cloverfield is his, even though he didn't direct that movie. He mm-hmm. he sort of was the the mastermind of that, but not a very good track record the past couple of years in TV for, yeah. for Mr. Abrams. I, I so. was going to say, too, that I think that might be a little bit of this, too, is that with in his absence, uh, Bad Robot has done very poorly when it comes to getting TV, sh- not not getting TV, TV shows on. They've done great at that, but keeping TV shows on the air. So I it wouldn't surprise me to see him step back into that a little bit and try to get that that branch of his uh of his network uh back on track right a little better than it than it's done since he stepped away since 2010 the tv shows ha- that bad robot has come out that he has produced include undercovers canceled mm-hmm. alcatraz canceled fringe which was great uh yeah. canceled almost human pretty good canceled yeah believe uh i think canceled yes person of interest still around because it's on cbs right <laughs> and revolution canceled yeah so. and a couple of the some of those aren't that great and you're not going to have all hits obviously but like um shoot what was the second one you mentioned but not undercover alcatraz 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 is one that i think honestly i really believe if jj was involved with that closer to a a day-to-day basis at least similar to the way he was with the beginning of Lost, that could have done very well. But it really, really struggled um, without, I think, some real direction. Fringe did well, 100 episodes yes. and ended. Yeah. Perfect amount for syndication if they yeah. ever want to do reruns of that. So I'd like to see him put more effort into a TV show because he always obviously has talent there for producing. And I would like to see him do some more of his own stuff, that's for sure. But right now we have to look forward to Star Wars Episode Seven. And Christmas 2015, and we have other Star Wars films to look forward to. The Gareth Edwards uh, spinoff film and also this Ryan Johnson Star Wars Episode Eight confirmed. So I assume we'll get a, another spinoff director announcement pretty soon because yeah. there's going to be one in between Episode Eight and Nine. So yeah. I, I assume that'll come for uh, Joel Shoemaker. <laughs> Joel Schumacher did a couple episodes of <laughs> House of Sorry, he did a couple episodes of House of Cards. That's yeah. right. I pretty good. How about Rennie Harlan, can we get him for uh, the Han Solo origins story? No. Ooh, okay. No. Yep. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> speaking of Joel Schumacher, guys, Can't remember when Larry David lived in Rennie Harlan's apartment in uh, New York City? <laughs> yes. Last season. Yes, I Famous. do. Classic. Hey, ma'am, fam. Question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. 
Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Well, let's uh, let's move on and let's talk about Batman. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. They say he can't be killed. They say he drinks blood. Is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Well, Brian Gill, I think we'll start off with you this week. All right. Give us your Batman history. Give us your Batman initial impressions of this movie. Talk to us a little bit about the other films, but uh, mainly talk to us about Batman 1989 and sure. uh, your love for Batman. Sure. So Batman is my – I probably mentioned before, Batman's my favorite superhero. That's not an uncommon uh, opinion, obviously. Is that why you're so psyched for the next one? <laughs> That's why I might slip my wrist before the next one gets here. <laughs> I <laughs> – I was in a happy place, Richard, and you had to you just had to take it there. Um, so Ben Affleck, best or worst Batman ever? <laughs> so yet to be determined. I'm okay. just going to hang myself with my mic. Cord. <laughs> Definitely most um, veiny Batman yet. Yeah, that, there is that. No question there. No, look, Batman was always my favorite superhero growing up. And uh, how okay? How old are you guys in 1989 when this came out? I was three. Three. Okay. So I was six, um, and this was this is the first i'm sure i i know i'd seen other movies in a theater before this came out but this is the first movie that i remember seeing in the theater and like remember pretty much like every beat of the movie as far as like being in the theater i begged and begged and begged my parents to let me see this um and there of course was all these like you know, him and hawing about whether or not I'd be able to since it's PG-13 and it's going to be like really dark and I'm six years old and all that stuff. But my dad took me to see it. Um, and it's like one of my uh, that's like one of my favorite childhood moments as far as like bonding with my dad is going to see Batman uh, in the theater. Um, so this has like a great, you know, like a, a, a soft spot in my heart and uh, is is probably still my favorite superhero comic book movie to this day. I think there's been plenty in the last 10 years or so that are, that are better movies. Um, 
Avengers and and the Batman and Nolan's Batman trilogy, etc., uh, and Iron Man as well. But uh, this one, this one still, I think, is my my favorite. And uh, it's it had probably been, I don't know, six months to a year since I had revisited it when I saw that uh, this is you know it's twenty five years old today, and we decided we were going to do this for the show. Um, and so you know, getting to watch it last night, it's still to me is a a very good movie. Uh, it's there's a little bit of dating, but overall, I still think it holds up so, so incredibly well. And and it certainly doesn't hurt, again, that I, I just have uh, so many fond memories of this, this movie experience. Um, and that this is a – this really is truly a, one of the, I don't know, probably three or five biggest movies in my uh, upbringing as far as like developing a love for – for film and the reason why you know we're here like i'm here on this podcast partly because of uh because of batman so uh yeah it was really cool getting to go back and watch it having not seen it in a while and get to watch it for the first time really ever as far from a like a uh a critical standpoint you know to like prepare for this uh which was pretty cool but yeah this is a this is still one of my favorite movies of all time and uh and really really an enjoyable go through on like i don't know i probably watched it 30 times at this point you know and uh really really enjoy it so richard what's your batman history so yeah yeah just the math so it came out 25 years ago so i was about two and a half when it came out and i guess this was the first non-r-rated movie i saw in the theater because my parents were warped um (laughs) no uh i don't remember it coming out at all i remember batman returns coming out uh, a couple years later but i discovered this movie i'm sure i saw it as a kid later on on VHS or something, but it didn't really, I don't know. I never really, like I liked it, but I was never really formed an obsession over it. So I kind of started getting into it again in high school. So I think the Batman Begins came out right after my senior year of high school. And so I got in the Batman a couple years before that because I remember being super psyched for Batman again. So maybe like freshman, sophomore year is when I started watching this movie like seriously. Um, A lot of it because (laughs) I am and always will be a big Prince fan. And so one of the greatest soundtracks of all time uh, (laughs) on this movie. Sadly, it's the first thing I think of when I think of this movie. I love how he's in the opening credits too. Dude, don't (laughs) even, man. You can't mess with it. Nothing's better. I know. (laughs) I you know, this movie really, to me, signifies well. Batman Returns too, in a way. Batman Returns, maybe even more so. But it's it's about as good as Tim Burton gets. Oh, I don't yeah. mean Batman Returns is better than this. I just mean it's more Burtony and it works. Uh, but it's definitely uh, there's white face paint, but no Johnny Depp. And you know, look, it's one of uh, gosh, maybe five or six Jack Nicholson movies in my lifetime. Right, he makes a movie like every five years. I'm 27. Yeah, yes, um, the last one was that awful one where Owen Wilson was a relief pitcher for the Nationals. Yes, how uh, do you know? <laughs> gosh, that was such a miserable <laughs> yeah. movie. Pre- preceded by the bucket list. So. Oh yeah, that's tough. Tough couple years for old Jack, mm. and I love James L. Brooks, as you guys know. Uh, but uh, man, how do you know is really really bad. That's not why we're here. I remember having the toys as a kid. I remember it being the first. Uh, I guess like um, that and the the first Ninja Turtles movie to me were the first like movies that like had marketing materials for kids, right? They had like sure. little toys and stuff like that. And so that's when I think of like toys as a kid. I think of the Batman, Batman Returns, 
and Ninja Turtles, which Ninja Turtles was kind of the other way around, right? They were action figures that then they then turned into a movie. Or, but uh, but still, so, you know, this movie's out in 89, but it has kind of that early 90s feel to it. I think of it as like an early 90s movie, yeah. uh, aside from the whole Prince thing. I know you feel the same way, Brian, but we uh, I'll go ahead and touch on it. It's, it's, it's Michael freaking Keaton, man. I right. mean, uh, he's the man and uh, just a, a perfect Batman. He will soon be a member of he's a member of a a, a pretty elite list of Batman, but he's going to be a member of a, a another very uh, important list if I have my way here soon. Sure, right. Um, but the second uh, Batman to make that list. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, third isn't Clooney one? Clooney oh, and yeah. Kilmer. Yeah, yes. yeah. Both ATs. You're right. Both ATs. So it's only fitting that uh, Mister. Keaton uh, make it and he's just such a it's such an interesting fun performance by him he's holding so much back as Bruce Wayne and Batman but still that like Keaton charisma like pulls itself out of him you know it's almost against his will that he's like charming in this role so and then in terms of like effects and everything it's the perfect the thing I love about this movie is it's the perfect um kind of uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for crossover between this kind of Adam West campiness and then what would later become these darker Batman movies, it kind of has influences of both. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect kind of uh, bridge. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Tough one. Good job. Perfect kind of bridge between those two universes to me. And uh, I just, I think it's a really important, like you said, Brian, you know, it's up there with kind of, um, you know, Jaws is the first successful blockbuster. And I know the Superman movies were big, but I mean, this is kind of the first successful sort of darker, serious yeah. um superhero film yes. and so uh it's it it, it, it it you know it should tax all the other ones that kind of stole the, the thing from it it's a really important uh movie but i i won't go on too long but kent what, what about you you're even younger than me so you were a yeah. year and a half old when it came out yeah i actually the exact same richard i remember batman returns and was yeah. a big batman returns fan as a, as a child and the first movies i remember seeing in the theater was uh hook actually i was a huge Peter Pan fan when I was little. I mean, I watched the VHS all? of it daily, literally mm-hmm. daily. And so when Hook came out, that was I was just ecstatic. And then after that, it was Jurassic Park when I was yes. getting in, when I was in elementary yeah. school, and that one was obviously life changer for me and for us. Hook, Hook tangent. I went to a birthday party when that came out when I was like five or six, and I had this weird thing where I could not. I didn't like being in the movie theater if it was already dark, so I had to get there early. I know a testament to my future neuroses. <laughs> I had to get there early and watch the lights get dim, you know, and then I was fine. I could watch. I saw Jurassic Park. I wasn't scared or anything. But if I walked in and it was already dim, it freaked me out. The uh, anyway, that happened at Hook, so I had to just leave and just walk around the mall by myself as like a four year old. I remember, uh, yeah, I remember seeing Park. Hook, and I was probably I don't know it was ninety two when that came out, yeah. so I was in kindergarten, but. I remember telling my parents, I'm seeing this by myself. I, I seriously sat in my own <laughs> row and saw it. And my parents let that happen. Can you imagine letting your five-year-old sit by themselves? It was a simpler time. It was a simpler time. It was crazy. But We had an old Z car, and my mom used to just throw me in the back of it. Like Z car is a two-seater, but she would just throw me in the back on the little ledge thing, and we just look at Christmas lights. Uh-huh. And she, you know, we had to take the freeway to get there. But you know what? We're fine. <laughs> Ended on my feet. So I really liked Batman Returns. I still have all the little action, the penguin action figure for it and everything. I was really attached to that one. Never really got a chance to revisit Batman when I, in my youth. 
but I just remember that poster. I, mm-hmm. I just have such a vivid memory of that iconic Batman logo poster at the movie theater and everything. And I, I just remember wondering what that was and knowing it was really cool and, and more for adults than, you know, than something that I would watch back in the day. I remember the, the original Ninja Turtles too being sort yeah. of a kid's movie. And so I hadn't really revisited this original 1989 Batman until recently. I think wow. I had seen the Christopher Nolan films before I had even gone back and watched the original Batman film. Uh, but I had seen Batman Returns and, and Forever and Batman and Robin growing up. But, you know, I really never got a chance to go back and look in, in hindsight at what Mr. Burton had done here. So it was fun, like you said, Brian, from a critic's perspective, to go back and look at this movie. And it's really impressive. You know, this movie cost $30 million. So, you yeah. know, double that, probably a $60, $75 million movie now. Really impressive for that type of budget. Mm-hmm. what they were able to do here My, mainly practical effects there are some i don't know what the technique is animation effects or something in in some of the yeah. scenes like when you Almost see back like scaled models in a way y- yeah when you see batman's shadow sometimes it's it looks animated and when you see um there's police searchlights near the end mm-hmm. when they're pointed up at the Joker hanging off the side of the building that look animated to me. Yeah. I don't know how they don't look drawn, but they look animated. I don't know what yeah. technique that is. I don't know what it is either. It's the same with like the city skyline shots yeah. too. Right. They all have that kind of feel to it, but it's really impressive. This, the production design in this is the best in any Batman movie. In my opinion, the art direction and uh, the Christopher Nolan films to me, this, the city of Gotham was just too basic and they they could have shot that in like Cleveland and no one would have really known the difference. I mean, they did they probably did. They shot it yeah, in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh yeah. and stuff, but it just didn't have a Gothic Gotham feel to it. Like this did. If this feels like a cross between Metropolis, the old, old silent movie Metropolis and probably um, Blade Runner a little bit. Yeah. It just has a really awesome. And in the opening shot, is of Gotham and you're hooked right there. You're in the, in the Gotham city universe. You know, Batman's fighting the Joker in this, but why isn't he not fighting pollution? Because there's so much smoke in this movie <laughs> everywhere. Every scene there's like a, a, there's billowing smoke. Why hasn't anybody said anything about the, the pollution? But I know that's just to add to the aesthetic, but it's just funny looking at this from a critic's perspective and noticing stuff like that. I really enjoy Michael Keaton in this role. I think he might be the best Batman we've gotten. Uh, certainly the, my favorite Batman. I don't know if he's my favorite Bruce Wayne, but he is my favorite Batman. I think he na- absolutely nails the performance when he's in the cowl. And he has the perfect Batman voice, too. It's not like Christian Bale doing the ridiculous... <laughs> and it's just almost inaudible sometimes. But he has a perfect way of disguising his voice that doesn't seem that you don't concentrate on too much. And I just really enjoy Michael Keaton as Batman. So I'm glad they brought him back. Um, Jack Nicholson, perfect choice as the Joker. Um, the, it's a funny story uh, about how they got Jack Nicholson. They originally offered it to Jack Nicholson and he was like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that because nobody would want to do this really back then. You know, there yeah. wasn't really any proof that it would work. And especially because Tim Burton was involved, who was known for back then for Pee-wee's Big Adventure, still maybe my favorite uh, Tim Burton movie. 
uh, and uh, his Dark first. Shadows, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Beetlejuice well, the year before in 1988. So, you know, the Batman fanboys are really up in arms that Tim Burton was being put in charge of this, and Jack Nicholson didn't really want to do it. So they go and offer the Joker role to Robin Williams. <laughs> and they, and Warner Brothers goes back and tells Jack Nicholson, hey, Jack, Robin Williams is going to do this. And Jack's like, no, 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 no. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> he just didn't want Robin Williams to do it. <laughs> so he played the Joker and negotiated a huge stake in the merchandising, like a percentage of the merchandising, and ended up making like 60 or $70 million off off the merchandising rights to it. So really good foresight by Nicholson there to see the potential and how big of a merchandising movie and move this would be in Hollywood. It was really one of the first, I mean, star Wars was big obviously, but that's really the only movie before that before Batman and Ninja Turtles, of course, that were huge among kids. I mean, there was the collect, the figures are extremely collectible, but it's fun to go back and look at this as a critic from a critic's perspective. Like you said, the first thing I noticed, the opening credits come and they were very shaky. Uh, I had a DVD copy of this, and they were very shaky on the DVD. Mm. Like the cam- I guess the camera shot was shaky. The the you know the the titles are static, but they're just shaking because the I guess dolly shot that they used wasn't wasn't extremely smooth, or it was a rough take or something like that. So I went online and I was like, okay, I need to watch this in HD just to see the difference in the transfers. And it was shaky on the Blu-ray transfer too. I was just surprised that they didn't go back and and change that for the Blu-ray or fix that. It just was very noticeable from the beginning. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but Brian, why don't you talk to us about you looking at it from a critic's perspective for the first time? Did anything stick out to you? And did you appreciate something more than you did you know the previous times you had watched it or something like that sure the i mean i think richard mentioned keaton i think it's really natural if you've seen this movie you know a dozen or 12 dozen times or whatever you automatically just think of jack nicholson because it's it's a really iconic performance and one that i think set the bar for like okay if you're going to make a superhero movie you have to have a villain and and we we need this really if you if you really want to be in the upper echelon you you this is how you need to do your villain but you 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 think about that stuff so much and you focus upon that so much that you kind of forget that michael keaton was really stinking good in this role and um i don't think i'd really paid attention to him because he is wearing a mask half the time um, I don't think I'd paid attention to him the way that I that I would have if I was watching this for the first time now, you know. And so that was it was really fun to watch because I think I think Christian Bale's Batman and Bruce Wayne are both very very good. And I don't know honestly which is better, but it's a different take and it's it's just as good if not better. Um, and it it really works well within the the film itself, um, which is really cool. Keaton is really good, and it's strange to me that you you look at it now and it's like Keaton really didn't do much after this movie. Like he seemed to have like a, a, a little bit of a difficult time finding a the right role uh, after this movie. Whereas Tim Burton's career just blew up, and you wish you could go back in time and switch that to where like we never hear from Burton again after the, like Batman Returns yeah. and Keaton's getting more and more stuff. Uh, during the '90s, but uh, and and I I have no idea. I I've, I've not read much about Michael Keaton, so maybe he was just like 
picky or I don't know. He, I don't know he was he raising his son. That's he, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. He raised his son. Is, is okay. At least the excuse he gives. No, he, he's great in this movie. And I, I don't think I had really paid too much attention to, to what a great job he was doing with it. The special effects are great. Like a movie from 1989 should seem more dated than this does, yeah. at least from the effect standpoint. And really to me, the only, the only part that stood out as, okay, that doesn't look great is when Batman's flying around in the the bat jet thing. Um, that that looks a little bit 1989. <laughs> uh, but for the the most part, most of it looks looks great. Honestly, like the soundtrack is probably like the second most dated thing in the whole movie. Oh yeah. Um, and it's it's a great soundtrack, but it definitely is like, oh, this is this is definitely late 80s, very early 90s. Just if you were blind, you would you would know just from I want that on that vinyl stuff. so bad. Yeah, the, I thought, dude, the soundtrack. That, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I thought I had found it the other day uh, when I was at Half Price Books, and I was going to buy it for you, and then it turned out it was a laser disc. So I didn't, uh, oh. I didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> but I it have was, a couple laser discs just just for collector's sake. Never going nice. to watch them. Just yeah. just fun to have on the rack. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. No, it's this holds up extremely well, and that's a not a surprise necessarily, but it was nice to see that uh, when looking at it under that sort of lens, um, it's still it's still a very strong entry into the comic book genre. Not to mention, I mean, regardless of the fact that it is uh, the most important comic book superhero movie that we've ever been alive for you know that it's that it really set the tone and started this whole comic book thing and put it on a a, a completely different plateau than or mountaintop than it had been before but just just on its own uh it looks great it the performances are really strong the characters are robert wool is great and i you know he's he's a really strong and very odd uh comedic relief um that's not i don't think that's something that that was done very well. Well, look, it's not done well now. Like, you know, when you have a character that's thrown in just for uh, comedic relief in a pretty serious movie, uh, those characters are, are 90% of the time terrible. Um, but this one was, man, he's really good at, at, at doing that. And I mean, uh, really, think, this and Jar Jar are the only times it's ever been pulled <laughs> shut off. up, <laughs> edit him out. Uh, no, it's so anyway, yeah, this was a, this was cool to watch from, from that perspective for me aside from how I feel about it emotionally. Yeah. Richard, any thoughts on looking at it through a critical eye? Sure. My eye is not nearly as uh, honed as, as either of you, but I, I will say that, you know, the thing that interested me about this is Brian, you, you, I think Brian or Kent, you, you touched on it accidentally because you would never purposely make a good point. <laughs> the, the notion that the movie that both of these, uh, you know, Burton and, and Keaton did before this was Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. And what a leap of faith that took uh, from, you know, what a leap of talent it took for for Keaton and then for for Burton to be so firm in that casting choice and for the studio to go with yeah. it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's kind of an incredible thing because like you would not pick the guy that played Beetlejuice at all to be Batman. That would be like, I don't know, getting Forte to do Captain America off of MacGruber. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like such a different type of performance and obviously Keaton was up for it and was incredible in both but like uh, that's always the thing like kind of historically looking at it is like wow what a brave kind of choice by everyone involved mm-hmm. and 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 successful and that that's a testament to you know I hate to say it to Burton probably is uh, his 
his I think like master stroke as a as a filmmaker is probably that decision other than Corpse Bride and, and uh, Dark Shadows. <laughs> while, while you're on that subject, Richard, I just want to yeah. read off a list of names that were up for this role. It's oh, just pretty funny to to look back and to to think about what could have been. So these are the guys who could have played Batman in this movie: Alec Baldwin, Jeff Bridges, <laughs> Emilio Estevez. <laughs> wow. Baldwin would have been good. Yeah. yeah. Late, late 80s Alec Baldwin. That, right. That's pretty strong. Go ahead. Also strong in Beetlejuice. Um, <laughs> yes. Matthew Broderick. Ferris no. Bueller. <laughs> Gosh. Co- Kevin Costner. <laughs> Sorry. Every time Matthew Broderick's name is mentioned, I have to play Come With Me by Puff Daddy. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Michael J. Fox. Marty McFly. Can you imagine him as Batman? Tiny Batman. Yeah. There. Yeah. Crazy. Um, Harrison Ford, Robert Downey Jr., Kevin Spacey, Patrick Swayze. That would have been cool. Yeah. I could see Swayze. I'm on board with that one. Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mel Gibson, Charlie Sheen. Both the stuff as brothers. Exactly. And um, their dad, Martin Sheen, as well. (laughs) Bill Murray. Pierce Brosnan, Tom Selleck, Daniel Day-Lewis, who would have been really cool, I think, as well. He would have actually fought crime. Actually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he actually would have been a Batman to research. That would have been interesting. (laughs) Crime is seriously down in New York for six months. The the worst part is when he has to make the billion dollars to pull it off, but still does. (laughs) Like, okay, so before my research, I had to make a billion dollars. Did that, started a tech startup. All right, now I have to fight crime for six months, and then I'll be ready. So just let me know. I was thinking about this watching the movie about people that were popular in the 80s, and Tom Hanks was rumored for this. I just can't see him at all in this type of thing. I just wonder what that could have been, too. Yeah, you know, there's a – I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but a lot of people – this is a pretty common like pop culture theory uh, – say it's there's kind of this there can only be one theory, and – you know, to steal from Highlander. And a lot of people blame Tom Hanks is meteoric rise in the nineties as sort of the serious actor, you know, post, uh, post big and, and things like that on the demise of Michael Keaton's career. Like we talked at some of Keaton's kind of fall from, from stardom in the nineties could have been by choice, but to say it wasn't, it was kind of because every role that he would have been great in Tom Hanks was, I mean, you could see Michael Keaton in Philadelphia. You could totally. see Forrest Gump. You know, yeah. And it's kind of their, well, I'm sorry that we only have room for one of you and we're going to go with this guy kind of thing. Uh, it's a pretty common like post-pop uh, criticism theory out there. I don't know if we've talked about that before. but that's No, that's good. That's a good yeah. observation. Uh, also, Kevin Klein and Bruce Willis up for the Batman role. I would have liked to see Bruce Willis in a as Batman, as, especially in the cowl. I think he would be awesome in the cowl. <laughs> and as Bruce Wayne. He's got kind of got that swagger. And you, you could go by his name. You yeah, know? Bruce. You know, surprisingly, and this is not to take away uh, from from Keaton, who we've we've lauded on this podcast uh, in this role, who he was absolutely perfect. But I'm surprisingly like seventy percent okay with most of that list. You feel the same way? I'm like surprised with yeah. how I'm like, man, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It's weird Kurt because Russell Keaton was been so cool. great, and no one could have been better. But right, yeah. There's a lot of people on that list. I'm like Swayze, all right, watch that. Sure. Exactly. But it is a leap of faith, man, a huge one, and especially to get Tim Burton and him 
Those were yeah. both huge risks and ended up paying off big for them. So let's talk about the story here. Do you guys have any issues with the story? How does the story itself hold up? To me, there's so much Joker. There's so much Nicholson. And I realize Jack Nicholson was a huge star. He was the top build, you know, cast member of, of this film. And there, to me, there's not enough Batman in here. And there's a lot of Joker. I, I think they probably could have kept 75% of that. And some of most of the Joker scenes are the ones that seem dated. You know, mm-hmm. the, the most obvious one is when they're, they go into the museum and he goes like, hit it to his goon. And he has a ghetto blaster on his shoulder and starts <laughs> playing the Prince song. And they start dancing around the, the museum, you know, painting up all the museum artifacts and everything yeah. with Joker it's stuff. It's like David Lynchian scene. It's like really right. weird. Yeah, that it is weird. It's really, really off-putting in an odd way. And it's really funny because they're, they're obviously not dancing to any music. Like that yeah. was added in post. So none <laughs> of them are dancing to the beat of the song and they're all just kind of doing their own thing. It's really awkward and funny. But a really cool idea for a scene. But just going back and looking at that, 25 years later, it's just like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's and during the parade as well, the music and that it just that I think I saw a quote from Tim Burton that said that was his biggest regret was those songs, because that's really <laughs> the only thing that dates this. I mean, the makeup and effects, too, but that there's no denying that this was made in the 80s. You know? so this, is, this is an interesting conversation to have, not to, to tangent too much, but what? scenes in in recent superhero movies do you guys think will date them oh wow Ooh. if any you can say none it's, i think that in the christopher nolan ones how they use the cell phones to make turn it into a yeah a, use all of them as microphones and use it as sonar i think uh-huh. maybe that too but anything with cell phones is just like that and in like batman and robin i mean that one is already more dated than this movie Ugh. But there's so much like that in in there. The the bat credit card. Remember that? How terrible yeah. that was. Never leave home without it. Uh, <laughs> hey, just so bad. But remember, Kent, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> Always funny to me. I just it's so funny. I mean, not to talk about another Batman movie, but in that one, when Clooney got cast as Batman. Like when you get offered the role of Batman, you're probably going to say yes, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and obviously, that's what happened with George Clooney. But I just wanted to be there when he read the script. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> like I actually have to say this stuff. It's clear that he mailed it in so much in that movie, but just the fact of him reading that and be like, "Oh man, I really have to say, no sign of the beauty. Whoop, just the beast." Oh, yeah. gosh. When they see Bane, it's so bad. This needs to find its way on YouTube if it's not already. I remember – I have a distinct memory of this. You know, being super into Batman at that point uh, as a kid, I was like uh, probably like 10 when that came out and, you know, really liked – because I still will say I don't think Batman Forever is that bad. Like for a kid's movie, it's fine. Anyway, so the whole cast is on Oprah. Uh, uh-huh. They have Arnold and, you know – Uma and Chris O'Donnell. This is funny to think about. And Clooney. Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone and Clooney and Michael Goh or, you know, whatever. And Clooney is just so checked out. And he's a pretty charming fella, normally a pretty engaging uh, human. And, like, I still remember at this day, like, what is his problem? Like, why is he so mean? 
Mm-hmm. And then looking back, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> colossal D. If that was me, I'd be like, just get me out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. I just wish I would have been there when he got first handed the script. And oh. he's, oh, man. Because he's a super celebrity, like super big celebrity. <laughs> yeah. The biggest get ever in the history of this Batman franchise. And, <laughs> and it's just funny that he... It's like, yeah, I'm Batman. He's super confident and just sees the script. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then sees the costume with the nipples. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh. The opening scene is of Bat is of suiting up and then they show a close up of his butt and yes. bat nipples. <laughs> the first scene. Gosh, My favorite part of Batman and Robin, I just want to one thing before we move on, is when Alicia Silverstone becomes Batgirl. <laughs> she has the bat she has the Batgirl cowl on and all uh-huh. it, it just covers her eyes and alfred comes in and she goes uncle alfred no no it, it's me barbara <laughs> <laughs> she's in disguise it just makes no sense whatsoever that movie is just horrid but it back is. to back to 1989 um what what did you guys notice other than the dated music anything that you didn't enjoy Anything that you like, man, I, I can't believe I liked that when I was younger. Brian, anything come to mind? Honestly, no. I mean, there's there's parts, I guess, that are not quite as strong as they probably were in my brain or they were when I was six years old. But I don't – I mean, I don't have really any problem with just about anything that's in there. You know, you're right. There's a there's a heavy focus on on the Joker um, that definitely would not – would not be the case if this was made in, in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't, and, and it's a little, it's a little ridiculous, but I think that just plays into the over the top insanity of Jack Nicholson's Joker. Um, and which is why like it was such a controversial decision, I think for Nolan to go with the Joker in, in the dark Knight Cause it was just like, dude, that's just such an iconic performance. How is anybody going to top it? And Heath Ledger did, but he did it because he could go just the darkest route that you could possibly go, you know. Right. Um, but no, I, I honestly, I don't, I really don't have any complaints about anything about this movie beyond just the general, like it's a little dated and and that sort of stuff that we've we've kind of already touched on. It's a really good movie, still. Yeah, just a few things I want to touch on that I that stuck out to me on my most recent viewing, and like I said, I did not grow up with this movie. So I, I'm talking about from a from age 20 until now, yeah. you know, six seven years of of me, you know, looking at this from a different eye than most people sure. would normally look at it. I don't have much nostalgia towards this movie, sure. so I want to make that clear before I um, make fun of some stuff. So when we first meet Vicky Vale, Kim Basinger, it's established that she's a famous photographer, and they hold up a Time magazine that she she did the. Uh, Corto Maltese Revolution f- photos, and on the cover it says "Pics by yes. Vicky Vale," yeah. not photos, not photographs, not pictures. Pics by Vicky Vale made no sense to me whatsoever. I don't know why that decision was made, but that was just uh, kind of funny to me. Yeah, um, that's true. Looking I didn't at that, notice that this time too. I was yeah, like, wait, that seems odd. <laughs> time Magazine. <laughs> Another thing about Batman as a hero, um, I love the freaking Batmobile. Here, mm-hmm. I think that some of the sequences with the Batmobile are some of the best that's ever been done, other than you know the iconic ones in the Dark Knight. And the my I, the Tumbler is still my favorite Batmobile, but 
but this is my second favorite. It's yeah. freaking awesome. I love the jet engine and everything the, there. The scene when he rolls up and like rolls out the armor and drops the bomb. Yeah. I just went, I, I, six year old me went crazy. Like I was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. I just can't believe he did that. This is so awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, other than that, um, Batman himself has one weapon and it's mm-hmm. grappling hook. Every single scene in the movie, he gets away with a grappling hook. And I mean, it's six or seven times. He all he, he only has one one real weapon. And even at the end, that's how he ends up. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this. I don't know why you're <laughs> listening to this if you haven't seen Batman 89. But he ties the Joker to the gargoyle as the helicopter is flying away with the grappling hook. That's like, how it ends? <laughs> and so it's just funny to look at. And I mean, I just... I forgot how this ended. It had been a couple of years since I'd seen it last. And when that happened, I was like, I bet he's going to pull out the grappling hook up. Oh, he pulled out the grappling hook. And I mean, it was just, there could have been at least one or two, like, like a secret weapon that we hadn't seen yeah. that defeats the Joker at the end or something. But, if I can make a counterpoint to that, I think that was a conscious decision. I'm sure based it was. on how insane. If you've ever watched like the old Batman TV show, like, that belt that he wears contains 1000 different devices, you know? And I think that was one of the more, I think that was a conscious decision to be like, we're not going to be, we're not going to go to that level where it's like, there's a, there's a, there's one episode or maybe the original, the old school Batman movie where he has bat shark repellent on his, yes, like yeah. everything he, you know, you could possibly have. That's my um, favorite episode where he's, <laughs> he's hanging by the helicopter yeah, and, and the, the bat, and the, 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 the shark, shark is turned, eats yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I, I mean, you're totally right. It, it does get old after a while because he's just doing the same thing pretty much over and over again. But I think that was like a conscious decision of like, we're not going to give the bat belt like the most insane stuff that you, you know, that we, these, anybody who was an adult at that time grew up watching that show. And it's, you've got to think at some point when you're like 25 years old, like, really? Because he's got freaking shark repellent on his belt. Like, that's yeah, ridiculous. You know, that's true. And Richard, anything you looked at and or like, dude, that's so lame. You know, this last yeah, that, time. Always, it wasn't just this last time. Always that dancing scene just creeps me out for some reason. I've always just found that scene really off-putting and like disturbing in a weird way. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I've always just like, I don't know if it just makes me uncomfortable. Like I'm embarrassed for them for having to have this awkward dance. I haven't really exploited it, explored it in my own psyche. Um, but uh, it, it, what it's something about it just is unsettling. Um, I think I think that's it. I think I'm just embarrassed for the actors. No, I you, well, yeah. I mean, look the 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 uh, kind of robotic plotting of getting of how he gets out and everything is is com- kind of you know can be frustrating. But look, it's a superhero movie that that is a lot of them, um, especially from you know it's the first one, so it's not it doesn't have the uh, it didn't have the benefit of any movies before it. It's a strikingly original movie, so I, I will give it some benefit of the doubt there. I think it's it's pretty near perfect for what it is. I'm just trying to think like I'm trying to think of one thing to kind of criticize Keaton on, but I really can't. I mean, he's got kind of like he's got Eli a puffy Man- hairdo. He's got a puffy hairdo. <laughs> he's got Eli Manning dumb face a couple times, especially when the girls around. He right. kind of gets this like Ooh, look, which is kind of interesting. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's it's pretty darn good, guys. Like it's it's pretty rock solid. Here's just one more thing I want to mention about this before we give grades and closing thoughts. It's just incredible how dark this is. Like, there, this is the first big Batman movie ever. 
it's not like they worked up to the darkness, you know, like they sort of did with Christopher Nolan. It's like, okay, yeah. we've got Schumacher and then we we'll take it in a different direction now. Like this, this was the first shot that they had, you know, <laughs> and this is an adult movie. There's multiple cuss words in it that aren't, I mean, not even PG 13 worthy nowadays cuss words. And the part where <laughs> Bruce Wayne gets Vicki Vale drunk and <laughs> sleeps with her. <laughs> Like yeah. you would never see that in Batman and they put that in the first Batman movie. It's crazy. And there's this multiple murders and the yeah. Joker is messed up. I think there's a little homage to that in the dark Knight that I didn't really catch in the dark Knight until now where the Joker throws the quill pin at a guy and it gets him in right. the throat. And he says, um, the pin is mightier than the sword. I think that's when Heath Ledger does the pencil in the guy's head. I think that's sort of an homage to that mm. scene. But man, super dark, and yeah. the Batwing itself has like missiles and like a <laughs> a crank machine gun on it. I don't think we would have seen that in Batman previously, or we have never really did after. He's not a guy that uses, I mean, uh, guns. He's pretty well known for for no, saying no to guns, but it was just way more violent than I had remembered it to be that was a huge deal at the time because like again i was six years old and it was a major debate in my household of whether or not and i remember it vividly because it was just like you know my life was going to be over if i didn't get to go see this movie and you know it was a major it was a major subject of debate for parents because it's like you know this is supposed to be kid stuff and we're turning it into a pg-13 movie with with pretty pretty extreme violence honestly and uh and a lot of dark imagery and whatnot um, it, it was a, it was a big deal that I got to go see this movie when I did. Um, and you know, I'll be forever grateful to my dad for, for <laughs> making that call and letting me do that. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right, Ken. It was a, this is a major, this is quite a risky movie, honestly, if you really want to get down to it. And it doesn't look like a risky movie in 2014, but you know, in 1989, like this was a big deal. Yeah. There's like a fried skeleton at one point. Yeah. That's just extremely gory. Like, yeah. like horror movie level gory. I can't imagine taking my five or six year old to this and then seeing this and being like, wow, this was not what I thought it would be. Like, I remember seeing Watchmen and thinking, oh, I'm going to go see Iron Man or something. And that movie was very dark as well. It was just like, this is not the superhero movie that I've seen ever, just subject matter wise. It was crazy. But on, the, on the violence and the sex piece, um, there. Just in fairness, there is a scene that was written into uh, the Dark Knight where there there was supposed to be a love scene between um, Christian Bale, but then they cast Maggie uh, Hall and he's like, well, "I'm good, I'm thanks, all right. though. <laughs> thanks though." My favorite bit about about the Nolan series is Katie Holmes. Oh, doesn't want to do the Dark Knight. Well, that's a good career move, first of all, and second yeah. of all. Let's just get let's just uh, get Maggie Joan Hall and say that um, her face melted a little bit and uh, <laughs> she was in an accident and it's just people will get that. But yeah, I like, I, I I like Katie Holmes a lot more in that role. But that's so my I, I don't think it was her decision. I think because when she was doing press for that movie for Batman Begins was when the whole Tom Cruise thing happened. Yeah. And so I think the producers were a little annoyed that when she was supposed to be promoting this movie – she was kind of promoting the cruise machine, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think they dropped her from it. I don't think it was. I think she would have loved to have done Dark Knight, but uh, was not. I, I don't know. The listener will have to send in if you know exactly what happened there. Any closing <laughs> thoughts on on Batman eighty nine? Holds up, still strong. 
Very good. Excellent. Really just a huge, huge, if anything, piece of nostalgia. And it holds up way better than I thought it would. Like I said, there are a few funny things to go back and, and look at. But, man, what a great little iconic film this is that absolutely um, paved the way for for all the superhero movies we are currently getting and uh, paved the way for Justice League. Woo-hoo. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. But it'll be fun. Maybe we should do a Christopher Nolan Batman podcast if sure. the fans demand it we would like i'd like to revisit the dark knight uh, with a critical especially eye, right so. before uh justice league comes out in a couple years that could be fun that could be fun so we can compare I'll see how much. brian you're seeing brian you're seeing justice league <laughs> I, I'm, ta- I'm you're going with me and and i'll even let you have my walkout card like, i'll stay <laughs> right. for the whole Sounds thing good. Sounds okay good. guys let's do grades brian gill grade for batman 1989 uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I know that I'm super biased and it's a very emotionally charged movie for me, but it's, man, I still love it. I'm going, I'm going to go with an A+. plus. How do you feel about that? Wow. Like going it. strong. I'm going to go A- minus on this. I just want to mention one more thing. Y'all mentioned the soundtrack, but the score yeah. is fantastic as well. And it's really sure. Danny Elfman before he went all crazy Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. And another huge risk to to leave Danny Elfman in charge of this score, but he absolutely nailed it and set the stage for Hans Zimmer for the future Batman movies. So yeah. man, I really enjoyed the score. The second, the last time I watched it, I just, it really stuck out as really fun and cool and perfect for the tone. So Richard grade, I'm going to go just, I'm going to split the difference between you two and just go straight a Bam. sweet, really fun to talk about this and revisit this movie guys. And like I said, listeners, if you have any ideas for a throwback episode, feel free to contact us on our site and uh, send those our way. And we, we always love to re- revisit classic films. And Kent, what is that site? Should they want to go there? Madaboutmoviespodcast.com and click contact. And that form goes straight to us. And I'll just tease real quick that Ghostbusters is returning to theaters this coming August for, to celebrate the 30th anniversary. And we'll probably do a Ghostbusters podcast there. So... You know, Absolutely. get get Ghostbusters on Blu-ray or whatever. I think it's um it's on Blu-ray currently. Ghostbusters two is about to come out on Blu-ray. So go back, revisit those, and look forward to a uh, Ghostbusters podcast towards the end of the summer. So, okay, guys, let's move on and let's do weekly recommends. Weekly recommends. Okay, Brian, kick us off with weekly recommends. Sure, I'm going to give you a music uh, recommend this week. Uh, I believe Richard not, uh, gave us gave us Jack White's Lazaretto last week or the week before, whenever it was, uh, and it is truly a remarkable album. Love it so much. Um, but it did get me on a an alt country uh, or country rock kick, I guess. Um, and I so I was I had a trip this weekend for work, and so I was looking for some new music, and I decided. I've always kind of liked the old 97s, but I've never really gotten into them. So I'm going to download their uh, Greatest Hits album and just kind of see where it takes me. And uh, I don't have any idea if you guys are fans or not, but uh, I I loved it. It was the most enjoyable part of my drive was uh, was listening to their, their Greatest Hits album and kind of rocking out to some of the songs that I knew. And uh, really cool, really cool. It's called, the album is called Hit by a Train, the best of the old 97s, because I guess they didn't really ever have any hits, to be honest. But, right. Um, there, you know, there's some songs, even if you're, if you've never really sought them out, there's stuff that has seeped into pop culture that you'll oh, sure. recognize for sure. Time Bomb, I think it's, Time Bomb's probably their biggest, closest thing to a hit. 
but like uh, Question and Dor- Doreen's probably my favorite song of theirs. Um, there's plenty of stuff that you'll you'll recognize, and the stuff that you don't is a is just really a real treat to kind of get acquainted with it. So uh, yeah, I, I, I had a blast uh, listening to them on my on my drive to and from uh, a work thing, and uh, was was really I, I've gotten really further into that whole alt country country rock thing um is is only furthered my uh enjoyment of that stuff so uh yeah check out uh check out hit by a train the best of the old 97s and check out their cameo in the breakup for a film tie-in yeah totally really big local band i feel like they play around here almost every month or something (laughs) they do they they came from that like there was a, a short period of time where it felt like dallas was just pumping out bands um that got national radio play and big time gigs and stuff like that in camp and obviously you said what about breakfast <laughs> yeah. at Tiffany's nice Kit I think you obviously benefited from that some as well um, right. and now I mean it may just be that I'm old and I don't ever go to shows or anything like that anymore but it doesn't seem like that's necessarily the the case seems like that window is kind of closed um, but for a while this area was just a huge huge part of the mainstream music scene i feel like it was right on the verge of becoming a big big thing um and i think the old 97s were i don't know you, you could probably make the case that they were the biggest band to come out of here from that i era. think uh bowling for soup maybe, maybe was, bowling for soup or the toadies were huge the toadies well. were huge big. yeah yeah and don't forget drowning pool guys what the body shit you hear that all the time <laughs> anytime there's a fight or anything at a sporting event it's yeah the bodies yeah you guys um, psyched for um, that Louisville Music Festival? <laughs> Louder than Live Fest? Louder we going? Live Fest. We are. <sighs> We're going to be doing a live podcast <laughs> featuring the guys Park from Alter Bridge. And awesome. Alter Bridge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. So I'm going to recommend a television show, guys, that we are fans of, but I hadn't really watched. I kind of binge watched this, the season, the first season on Netflix. There's second seasons on there as well. But I want to recommend Portlandia officially. Yeah. This show is so freaking genius that you watch like the first couple episodes, you're like, that, that's fine. But you watch the whole season and and it might be the funniest show on TV, the most sure. original comedy show on TV. It is so good. It's so such such a great commentary on society and, and the hipster revolution and movement. And it's all it's half improv. I mean, it's very similar to like Curb Your Enthusiasm, where they'll give you a situation and they'll just play off that situation. It's so good, and I can't recommend it highly enough if you're a fan of comedy and original comedy. It is on Netflix, like I said, so you don't have to go seek it out on IFC if you don't have that channel or something like that. Man, what a. The episodes are very short, 22 minutes each or something like that, and such a fun show. I, I just can't wait. I hope it goes on forever. I hope they never stop making it. I hope, hope this is Fred Armisen's thing that he does for. Until he wants to quit. And mm-hmm. Gary Brownstein is also great, whom Brian and I saw perform with Pearl Jam. Yeah. Um, when Pearl oh, Jam really? was in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Really St. Cool. Vincent is from here. Yeah, I knew that. And she she was on stage, and, and I guess St. Vincent is friends with uh, Carrie Brownstein. And oh, so they cool. were both there, and they performed Rockin' in the Keep on Rockin' in the Free World together. Yeah. And it, really cool. But For like 20 minutes, too. Like yeah. Was, so great. Really cool. With the lights really cool. on, like they always yeah. do. Great band. But, yeah, great show. Absolutely a really, really fun show. And I don't see how you could not like it if you're a fan of, of fun comedy. So Portlandia 
is my recommend for this week. Richard. I'm going to do a TV show as well. I know I think I've recommended it before last year, uh, but I have been taking the journey because my girlfriend uh, didn't had, hadn't watched it. And so we, I started over in the first season. We're doing the second season now. Uh, but it's just such a great, 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 great. And Kent, you and I have talked about it. Great, great TV show. And that is FX's The Americans. Right. Um, re- rewatched all these right now. I, I, I was totally lo- I was kind of like, all right. You know, when you're, when you're going to binge something with someone else and you've already seen a season, it's kind of like, all right, well, I'll check email and you, well, you catch up for 13 hours and then, uh, right. <laughs> then we'll kind of start diving through, you know, and, uh, but then I was like just totally locked in again and, and loving every second of it and getting nervous all over again at all the, these, those wacky hijinks, those spies get into. <laughs> so uh, great. But uh, it is, and Matthew Reese, uh, who's the lead male, might be my new, like, I'm like totally on full lookout mode for that guy. I think he might have some star power. Um, he's just so, he's really, really funny in real life and uh, so different from the the character of Philip. And uh, I don't know. I think that guy could, could do a lot. And uh, he's kind of on my uh, on my radar right now. But uh, yeah, The Americans on FX. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. You can fly their first season's free. I think second season is pay right now, but it'll be free shortly. Um, and uh, go for it. Enjoy. Have you finished season two yet? No. So I was like three episodes into season two when my girlfriend said, uh, I want to I want to watch it. So we, I started over. I watched oh, okay. season one in time. Yeah. And then I was kind of a little backlogged on season two. So I started over and then I'm like pretty much caught up. Like next episode I watch will be new for me, so we're like three into the first second season. So man, don't dude, tell me seriously. Like yeah. halfway through season two is fantastic. Yeah. It's just that show is incredible, and you also need to get into Fargo, Richard. I know you haven't I seen will. it, but I season will. one just ended on that, and oh, I'll recommend that not officially, strong. but yeah, wow, incredibly strong too. FX has got, has got it going on right now. What's that? Eight episodes? Ten. 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 Yeah. Okay. Cool. And they're all over an hour too. I mean. And they're really set up kind of like movies, the way the credits roll and everything. They're all yeah. indiv- like individual little movies, but they do cool. play play off each other. And there are references, and it plays off the storyline that was established in the Coen Brothers film too. Yeah, And the Coen Brothers are executive producers of it, and they wrote a couple episodes as well of awesome. it too. So the huge. opens on Fargo are some of the best television ever. It's so like, fantastic. The, the opening five or six minutes is just – Every every week was amazing. You can tell that they went in and they said, "Okay, we're going to make a movie every week." Yeah, you know the way the music rolls and everything. It's it's fantastic as well. So, highly recommended Fargo if you haven't checked that out. Too, um, it's I will check it out shortly. We'll do. Let's do an episode on it. What do you guys say? Totally, we should yep. we should do that. Should. Okay, guys. Well, good uh, good talk. Great to talk yeah. Batman. Great to talk Star Wars as always, and of course. Some excellent, excellent weekly recommends. So, Brian, let me ask you, where can I find your work on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 and you can find my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. Kent, where... Oh, wait. Oh, gosh, I always mess that up. Uh, at Richard Barton. Kent, where might I find you? You can find Richard on Twitter at Richard Barton. Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. Find all three of us online on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Go back and listen to all of our archived episodes and uh, contact us on there as well. Just click contact. And uh, on that note, guys, until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Bye. Goodbye. I've got a time bomb in my mind, mom. I hear it ticking, but I don't know.